Welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Feminist, a podcast for feminists of the future. Today we are not your average feminists, but tomorrow we will be. I'm Christina. I'm Sarah. And I'm Amanda. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Feminist. Thanks for joining us again today. Uh, This is Amanda, and today we are talking all things scams and hoaxes. Um, You guys may... uh, be following the news lately um, about the Jesse Smollett case out of Chicago. And uh, I just thought like, we have to talk about this just in a, also just in a broader context of, of um, other things that have been going on lately that we'll touch on later in the episode. But this case um, is crazy and just seems to be getting crazier and crazier every day. And um, if for those of you who don't know, Jesse Smollett is an actor in a show called Empire. And um, a couple of weeks ago, he came out and said that he was attacked um, in the streets of Chicago at 2 a.m. by two white men who beat him and threw a rope around his neck and um, called him the N-word and um, dumped some kind of chemical substance on him and said, this is MAGA country. Um, it, it, the story really wrote itself and the media ran with it. And for weeks now, we've been hearing about how this um, actor was victimized um, by Trump supporters. Come to find out a couple of weeks later that he basically orchestrated the whole thing and paid these two guys to attack him. Um, and the whole thing is a hoax and fake, although obviously he's not admitting it. Um, but this is according to the Associated Press, um, last Friday, the Chicago, uh, police department released two men without charges and said, quote, they were no longer suspects. They said they had gleamed new information from their interrogation of them. One of the men is Smollett's personal trainer, whom the actor hired to help get him physically ready for a music video, um, end quote. Um, apparently he was also, or one of them was also an extra on the show empire so that's how he knew them and this whole story is falling apart and it's been crazy to watch this unfold um have you guys been paying attention to this or just a little bit a little bit through twitter twitter commentary (laughs) yeah it's kind of insane and um just how everything has fallen apart and he still is standing by his story and acting like now he's the one like being like re-victimized because people don't believe him um, it's it's kind of crazy uh, how everything is blowing up, and the fact that like the media just ran with it, and 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 for weeks we've been listening to media reports about this attack, about this hate crime, and and what's also funny is the 2020 Democrat presidential candidates, of course, waited about 30 seconds before calling this a hate crime and saying that we need to pass laws to you know make stuff like this federal crimes and um poor jesse smollett like everyone from kamala harris to cory booker um, they were all tweeting about this before they knew the facts i think um there's there's a difference too because i i just saw on the news more commentary from other people um Mm -hmm. but that president trump was asked about it pretty early on and he was just like yeah that's terrible and like moved on so i think Normal people would say, oh, my gosh, that's awful Mm -hmm. because I'm not expecting someone to orchestrate some crazy lie. But I mean – and I didn't pay any attention to it at the very beginning either because I was like, well, that's terrible. Yeah. On with my life. But then once, you know, skeptics started kind of like pointing out little things, I guess, that were coming from like inside the – or from like local – 
Chicago like news and mm-hmm. uh, journalists and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it it doesn't make any sense. Like, there's a roaming band of MAGA bros. Yeah, in Chicago at two a.m. Um, yes, I mean there were a lot of holes to begin with, but still at the same time you want to believe him because who does this? Who makes a who makes up a story like that? And B, who orchestrates an attack on themselves? Like those are just two things that normal people don't do. And so you want to believe him, and you have sympathy and empathy with him and and it's obviously what he said happened is horrible and you want them the the perpetrators brought to ju- brought to justice but um at the same time when there are holes and questions um that certain people are asking and and pointing out you can't respond with like how how awful of you not to believe him and not to believe his story and that's what a lot of people were doing well turns out the people raising questions were right you know, you know, and it's and, just, and I'm not one to raise questions. Like I believed him at first, but this kind of stuff really makes me angry because it's I don't want to be a skeptic. Mm-hmm. But these things keep happening, and I don't, I don't know why. It just makes me angry. Yeah. That's my only hot take on this entire yeah. debacle. Yeah. Well, my other thing is like, just. A, obviously, like all the questions about why would someone do this, but he did it because he knew that to an extent it would work. And, you know, for a couple of weeks it did. And so <laughs> I'm sitting here going like, what does that say about us? What does that say about the media that, you know, someone like an, uh, Jesse Smollett, this well-known actor, at least in some circles, can orchestrate a hoax like this? Because he knew to a certain point that it would work. Mm-hmm. Like that's that to me is also just raises a whole nother level of questions about us as a society and about the media and um, that we put like victim is victimhood on this pedestal and this whole like, you know, believe victims at all costs type of mentality that we're told we're supposed to have all the time. Um, you know, this wouldn't have worked if if this only worked because there were a lot of things in place that that let it happen, I guess is what I'm trying to say, if that makes sense. It's well, it made him a known name now. I mean, well, that's, that's something. True. I had no idea who he was at all. Yeah, but I – yeah, that's very true. Um, so maybe that's all he was going for is fame. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, he could get charged. I, I think – again, I – I'm not sure if this is accurate, but I, I want to say that I heard that this is punishable up to like three years in prison if they decide to charge him. Um, for faking this, which I, don't I think, think that they should. Him. I don't think they, they probably will. won't. They probably won't, but they should. I mean, think of how much time they've wasted, like the police department itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, on something like this, if if what he is saying happened didn't actually happen, like, yeah. If the if this ends up being a whole made up elaborate situation, then he should be charged. I mean, think of how many police officers, because it was a high profile case, mm-hmm. had to basically work probably overtime and. Oh, these yeah. like and basically stop what they were doing to focus on this one thing because a celebrity said that he was like mm-hmm. a victim of a hate crime. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely think he should be charged and punished up to the full extent of the law if for no other reason than just to to and I hate to say this, but to make an example and say like you like people can you cannot get away with this. Like this is not okay. This is not acceptable. You can't just do this and because you're famous, like get away with it. Yeah. You know? So it'll, I guess we'll, it'll spring a million copycats. Yeah. If nothing I know. happens to him, I know. So like I, 
I would like to think that there's some sort of repercussion, but I don't see it happening. You know how, and Christina, you could probably speak to this a little bit more, how tangled police relations are with, you know, you know, African-Americans and Chicago Mm -hmm. suburbs and suburban Which is why he most likely won't get charged. The police are going to want to try to save face. Mm -hmm. Um, They won't charge him because it, it could end up, causing more conflict than anything else. Yeah. And the other thing I was um, thinking about earlier as I was reading on these news reports is, you know, these detectives and police, like, they're not stupid. And I have to imagine that they smelled something fishy from the very get-go. Well, he Um, was saying he was on his phone. And mm -hmm. I only followed it when it initially happened. And I remember when it initially happened saying to my husband, like, something didn't seem right because, A, it's freezing cold. At mm-hmm. 2 a.m. in Chicago, it was during like that crazy, like negative 20 degree time yeah. frame. And how would, if you're bundled up walking by yourself on your phone, how would two people even recognize you? Yeah. On the street, A. And B, like he wouldn't give up his phone. Like he was mm-hmm. unwilling to work with the police but mm-hmm. with his phone records. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. And when he finally did turn over some of the records, they were so heavily redacted that they they didn't even like help at all. Yeah. Um, just the whole thing is so weird. And so I have to imagine that these detectives knew that something was up from the very beginning, but you know, they can't just come out and say say something or they can't they had to treat it with the seriousness that a crime like this would require, even though I'm sure they were all scratching their heads the same as the rest of us. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm sure you from the beginning, like I remember, um, what was it? Probably like six years ago, maybe when the murder happened at the Lululemon store. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember that. when it happened, I told my husband, I was like, something seems really off about this. And he's like, yeah, you'll see it'll come out in the news. And like, they knew all along that the girl who said that, um, she was like tied up or restrained mm-hmm. they knew her from the very beginning. Really? Yeah. And they just, you know, they let it go because I think the, the longer you let things like this go, the more people dig in and then the, their lie becomes too Impos- hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it becomes impossible to keep up after a certain point. Yeah. So they probably yeah. knew initially, like if this didn't happen, and I'm not saying it did or didn't just because, mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know all the facts at this point and the police yeah. haven't come out and said a ton um, but they probably, if, if he, this didn't happen, like if he didn't have, like if he orchestrated this whole situation, the police knew probably immediately. Yeah. I, had I to mean, think something so. didn't seem right about it anyway. So. And yeah. you know what? This is just, this reminded me, this is exactly why I didn't say anything about this. I just was like, I thought this is awful. I might've mentioned something to my husband and what went on with my own life because it's the same reaction that I wanted to have to the Covington High School boys where I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. Mm-hmm. Great. Like we need any more negative stories about conservatives. That's awful. Uh, whatever. So I like almost went on Twitter to be like, this is terrible. Yeah. I don't condone this in any way. Like so many other conservatives did. But I was like, no one cares about me. I'm not a well-known person. So I'm really glad I didn't because then turns out, wow, um, it was highly um, uh, restricted to mm-hmm. what the actual situation entailed. So yeah, more these – and I wouldn't say this is even a hoax. It's just um, – it's 
deceitful. Yeah. It almost seems like it's a cry for help. Like if this if this whole thing was like orchestrated to boost his career or whatever the case is, it's like a like something mentally is not right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. At a certain level you stop being angry and you just start feeling bad for bad for him. Yeah. At least I do. Um, I don't know. The whole thing is really unfortunate. And I, and if there is something wrong with him, I hope he gets help. Um, if there's not, I hope he goes to jail. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just leave it at that? You know? Yes. Um, but any, but anyway, I, I, again, like I said earlier, like we hadn't even planned on talking about this. Like this whole episode was going to be about millennial scams uh, because we've all been reading and talking and hearing about the Fire Festival documentaries. Um, but I thought that this would be an interesting um, lead up to that, just in talking about scams and people who are, you know, try to perpetrate frauds on the American public. Um, so uh, to switch gears a little bit, we um, ended last week kind of uh, talking about fire. And um, Sarah, I know that you said that you – uh, we're in the Bahamas when everything went down, and so we definitely want to hear some of your insights if you if you've got them. Yeah, uh, and, what, about, what, and how about you tee it up? What the entire festival oh, yeah. is, yes, and I'll come in that. with some colorful <laughs> commentary from locals. Okay, um, yeah. So let's do that. All right. So for anyone who doesn't um, know what Fire Festival is, okay, so. Uh, it started – oh, my gosh. I don't even know where to begin. Okay, but it started with this guy named Billy McFarland um, who was creating an app. He joined forces with a rapper named Ja Rule, and they were going to create an app uh, about, like, booking um, talent. So you could, like, go on this app and request uh, Ja Rule or Drake or whoever to, like, come perform at your event. And so the, it started with an idea about an app, okay? So he created a company, and then as they were building this company – um, they decided to essentially create a music festival to promote the app and kind of like drive the hype around this like celebrity culture, I guess. Um, so what they do is they go down to this island in the Bahamas. This guy, Billy McFarlane and Ja Rule is there and this like filmmaker is there and they invite like 10 supermodels to the island in the Bahamas. I know Bella Hadid was there. I think Haley Baldwin, um, Kendall Jenner, I believe was there for this um, and just a bunch of other supermodels. And so they filmed this promo and you know to advertise the festival and then they released it on instagram and all these influencers are posting the promo video for fire festival um which is supposed to happen you know in april of that year which i believe was 2017 um if i have that right so anyway long story short they get these influencers to post about it you know they're paying them to post about the fire festival they start selling tickets to the fire festival promising all these like lavish accommodations and catering and food and partying and um concerts and music and all this stuff and selling tickets for like tens of thousands of dollars a bunch of rich young white millennials bought the tickets went down to the bahamas for the fire festival and it turned out that the entire thing um, I don't know if you could go so far as to call it a, a scam, um, but basically nothing lived up to the hype. There was no luxury accommodations. There was no music festival. There was no nothing. There, it was absolutely 
a total and complete utter disaster. Um, and we can get into more of the details later, but you know, this guy, Billy promised all this stuff, took money from people and then didn't deliver and essentially was, uh, prosecuted by um, Southern District of New-, of New York for fraud and was sentenced to six years in jail. So that's where we are now. And um, it's been in the news a lot lately because Hulu and Netflix both released documentaries about it um, within the last couple of weeks. And so um, those documentaries have been blowing up and a lot of people have been talking about them and just talking about, you know, what is f- the failure of Fire Festival mean? Like, what does this say about us as a society? What does it say about someone like Billy McFarland? What are we supposed to take? Like, what lessons are we supposed to draw from the from Fire Festival? Essentially, I think we've had one long extended like conversation about this for the last few weeks. Um, so that's Fire Festival, and then on the flip side, um, which is another thing we'll we'll bring up, which I I think is extremely relevant and very similar to Fire Festival. Um, is the whole story of Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes and that downfall. And we can get into that a little bit later, but that's another, um, what I would call scam, um, that's been in the news a lot lately. Uh, HBO did a a documentary on that as well. And there's a new podcast, um, love podcast uh, called the dropout that has been chronicling or talking about, um, the downfall of Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, which is also super fascinating. And I think it's fair to say Elizabeth Holmes and Billy McFarland are, um, two very similar people. And if we're going to talk about scammers and the millennial generation, like we have to talk about both of them. And um, this genre makes me so excited because what Theranos and the Fire Festival both have in common are they have visionary mm-hmm. CEOs, founders that were able to woo not only their peers, but big money investors, VCs in New York and, and Silicon Valley and um, at least in the, the case of Theranos, um, captured the attention of like all of the major media outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, major yeah, she was on the cover of Time Magazine. Time Magazine, yes. Uh, so she, they were really, um, in, in their own ways, they were glamorized without having produced anything. There were yeah. no results. It was just their Story. grandiose ideas and – they kept selling basically what like their vision they were worth millions and billions in theoretical dollars but they had nothing to show for it so when we're talking about these scammers it, it it's not just a millennial scam in the sense that people our own age like in their 20s and 30s fell for some glamorous new festival or some amazing life altering technology in healthcare, it it bridged the generational divide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate and um and and very true. Like when we talk about Elizabeth Holmes and Billy McFarlane, like at the end of the day, uh they accumulated in a very short amount of time uh massive amounts of wealth by lying to people and selling them on a story. And so A you know, not only are these really good salespeople, but um, it, it kind of all goes back to 
we really want, really, really, really want to believe people. Like we really want to believe that story. Like if you are capable of stitching that narrative together and packaging it in a way that sounds really convincing and you play the part really well, like the, the one thing I took away from Elizabeth Holmes, I guess more than anything else, was how she knew what she was doing every step of the way from the minute she dropped out of Stanford, she turned into a product. Like she was selling herself and selling her narrative and selling this like amazing story that of course you would want to buy into. You know, she was going to be the next Steve Jobs. She had nothing to base that on, nothing whatsoever, no breakthrough discovery, no amazing technology, no um, invention, nothing except what she just sold to investors. You know, and to an extent, Billy McFarland did the exact same thing. Absolutely. So, how about we start with Fire Festival? Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned in the last episode, I was in the Bahamas at the same time that Fire Festival was breaking down. And so, I had no prior knowledge that Fire Festival was even a thing, even though I was in the Bahamas. <laughs> um, I was on, uh, the island of Nassau. So mm-hmm. it was nowhere close to Exuma where this was all happening. But I uh, news hadn't traveled to me that this was a thing. It was just once everything started blowing up mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, I was listening to the local radio and that's when I started to hear folks on the radio reporting about what was going on. And, um, you know, it was, it was funny because it was a lot of making fun of rich white Americans <laughs> mm-hmm. or influential uh, folks um, that were global. But um, there was also a really sad element to it because there were so – like the islands, each of the islands, especially um, when you're not on the main main island, um, they're, they're small, they're tight-knit communities, and jobs are hard to come by. Mm-hmm. Good-paying jobs are really hard to come by because – the major industries are really just the tourism industry. Um, some fishing, I mean, I'm oversimplifying right now, yeah. but if if you're looking to break in and make good money and not have to leave the island, because there's a lot of a lot of really the young talent in the Bahamas, they go off and they go they go to America and they uh, go to university and try to get better jobs in other countries. But um, there's a severe deficit on talent staying within the country. And so um, that's kind of multiplied by the fact that it's a very poor country. So when at first it was jovial and it was joking and it was a lot of making fun of, especially learning that um, when I was watching the documentary, I saw that there was a lot of um, talk from the internal interviews mm-hmm. about the um, the VAT tax and the import duties Um, that were coming in for a lot of the like alcohol and water and all that kind of stuff, you have to understand it's so expensive to buy anything on that island. Um, It's hard to find a grocery store that's stocked with fresh foods. Um, I know when I was there, I had a a shop and I had to always check the the expiration date on anything that I was buying, including like cereals and you know, dry goods that are, you know, always found in like the center aisles of, yeah. of and these were in the quote unquote, you know, good touristy 
quote unquote white areas too. So it's just getting access to good food and water. It's just everything was so expensive. Um, so I laughed when I was hearing oh. about some of these like fees on water imported into the Bahamas being like millions of dollars in taxes yeah. just to have them there. And I was like, yep, that makes total sense to me. Um, and they couldn't push it through. Like they they couldn't handle it. Like, I mean, that was part of the problem is they couldn't get anything like where it needed to be or brought onto the island. And they just didn't even have like the the ability to to negotiate this and like get it done in the short amount of time that they were trying to do it in. There was very little knowledge on their part of what it was going to take to actually pull off an event in the Bahamas because mm-hmm. it's a very expensive place to do any kind of business. Um, so it, it just – Did you hear anything like from locals who maybe knew people on Exuma or had any like – interesting stories about it or was it just kind of all filtering over through the news and social media? Uh, Mostly filtering through. The only like personal stories were just really, um, they were just really upset because there was a lot of work done and a lot of folks got gypped. Mm -hmm. They didn't get paid or they used their own resources and never got reimbursed for it. And it was just kind of, there was a lot of demand, especially on talk radio for Mm -hmm. some sort of um, action, legal action Mm -hmm. to be taken to um to make understandable rep yeah like to reprimand anyone that 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 scammed them so it was just yeah talk radio was lit they were not very happy yeah with the I just but i never was- i never heard of like they never used billy mcfarland's name they didn't really talk about jaw rule they just kind of talked about the event organizers in broad generalizations because i think even then most people didn't really know who was behind it yeah i mean i guess I guess they they knew of Ja Rule and they knew Billy McFarlane's name, but I guess how it was originally kind of put out there was that there might have been other people behind the scenes responsible Hmm. for any kind of missteps. Interesting. But yeah. So watching this documentary was just like so interesting. And I thought it was crazy that even after the failure of Fire Festival, while he's like they're bringing up charges on him and stuff like that. He's still out there scamming. I like know. Which one was it? The Netflix or the Hulu one that was saying like how he was using the mailing list for people that yeah. bought tickets to Netflix. To the, yeah. yeah. And so he's, he's out trying on- to sell Victoria's mm-hmm. Secret fashion show tickets. Like, Well, that's what he did with his company before fire with um, yeah. Magnesis. Like he would sell – you know, outrageous things like front row tickets or backstage passes to Beyonce or tickets to the Super Bowl and like get or or tickets. I remember like tickets to Hamilton and or he would sell tickets to Hamilton. OK, at the height of Hamilton to, on Broadway in New York City and then not and sell the tickets that he didn't actually have. And then the day of he would like pay an outrageous sum on StubHub to get the tickets to actually give it to people. But then he had to do another scam after that to pay for the Hamilton tickets. And it just became like this endless loop of scams. So you want to know something funny, Amanda? Um, My friend Caroline has still has a Magnesis credit card um, that she got like way back in the day. And Mm -hmm. um, she was telling me that I think it was her, her and a couple of our, our, our other friends got to go to some Aaron Carter 
like like I don't think it was I don't know if it was a concert or some like behind the scenes behind like backstage passes to like meet Aaron oh, Carter. So like it was a real it was a real thing. And wow. I know and they actually someone, and they did it through Magnesis. They did it through Magnesis. That's yeah. hilarious. Wow. Um so yeah, so I don't know. I guess like the whole thing with fire and I know, you know, at this point it's kind of become like this exhausted topic because everyone's talking about it right now, but it just, it really makes you wonder like who, who do you ultimately, well, obviously Billy McFarlane is ultimately responsible, but I guess my biggest question is who else like shares in responsibility for fire festival and to if anyone else, to what extent? And does anyone else need to be held accountable for what happened? You know what so I mean? I I think this whole episode, especially with fire, is um, the level of the level that influential people on Instagram, mm-hmm. models, actresses, um, just influencers, friends, friends of the rich and famous in New York and. LA mm-hmm. had on marketing this and they got paid to market this. And so I know that there are several class action lawsuits and um, there are many celebrities that we would all know by name that are listed mm-hmm. um, in this. Um, I think Kylie Jenner being Kendall most, Jenner. Or yeah, yeah. Kendall. Kendall Jenner being the most well-known amongst them. And but I, yeah, I mean, I wonder like those influencers, especially the ones who were on the island for that promo video that got paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to promote this, like, did they ever give them money back or like take a check and donate it to charity or something? Like, or did they get paid? I well, they did get they, paid. They we did know the that at the very beginning. Okay. Oh yeah, because I know, know the artist. Paid. I, the artists never got paid, or several of them didn't. Up until the end, that's why they all started dropping out. So right, but I know that like the influencers who promoted the festival to sell tickets definitely got paid mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars for Instagram posts. Basically, by the way, if anyone in that's listening is really interested in marketing, I would highly recommend that if you haven't already watched the Hulu Fire Festival because they do a really big dive and a deep dive in. Um, long segue be- leading up to the the debacle of the festival unraveling of just how it was marketed, the team, the social media team behind it. And um, my husband and I were watching it. We were like, wow, this was actually very phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just the techniques that they used. Mm-hmm. But so what do you th- like attribute it to? So obviously like the rise of social media and Instagram obviously plays a role because you wouldn't have these influencers – um, if, if we didn't have these platforms that kind of fed into it, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I liked it at the end of the day, I don't know how much blame I put on, you know, social media or that whole aspect. Like I, I'm hesitant to contextualize fire festival just in, in that context. Um, because there's always been scammers. We've all there's always been grifters. There's always been um, people who have you know perpetrated fraud and gotten away with it or not gotten away with it. But so like scams aren't new. I think 
Instagram makes them easier to, or social media in general makes them easier to maybe carry out um, or easier for more people to do it. But that doesn't necessarily mean like that fire wouldn't have happened without Instagram. Does that make sense? Yeah. And Instagram's not culpable for right. scams that are run on it. But right. I do but- think there's a level of due diligence you have to take on as as like um, a, a, a sponsor mm-hmm. or uh, somebody that's a brand ambassador for a company or a product or a festival. Yeah. And I mean, you have to do your due diligence to figure out like, what is it that you're actually selling and putting your name behind and what are you accepting money for? And, you know, at a certain point, all these influencers came on board, the Kendall Jenners, the Haley Baldwins, like super early on in the process. And there was no way for them to know, you know, months out that this was going to fall apart and this was one huge scam. And so, you know, I don't necessarily blame them for it. I, I would hope and I should probably have looked this up, but I would hope that they would all like take that amount that they got paid and cut a check to a don- like and donate it to charity or something to try to even the scales um, in the universe for this. But scams, you know, I don't think scams like fire are nothing new, but there's an extra level of like sleaziness to this one that I can't brush off. And I think it's it all goes back to the fact that a lot of people were scammed out of their money. Um, but a lot of people, namely really already rich, young white people profited off of that. You know what I mean? And that's what makes it, I just think, feel so filthy and gross. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. And, and so when I think about like who should be held responsible or who shares responsibility for this, I definitely, um, think maybe the influencers are in there to an extent. Um, but you you have so many different layers to this. There's the scammers themselves, like the Billy McFarlands and the Elizabeth Holmes. You have the influencers. Um, at the FIRE, I would definitely consider the models and the artists who signed on early that promoted this. Um, in the case of Theranos, um, not to zigzag so much, but in Theranos, I would say those influencers were the board of directors that she assembled. You know, the George Schultz's, the General Mattis, the... Um, all these VCs and people that she got on her board to help her sell her vision. Um, and then there, there are the enablers. Um, in the case of the Fire Festival, there were a lot of enablers that, that let this happen. Everyone from that, that Andy guy um, who came to help like make everything happen um, to Jerry Media, that marketing firm in New York City, um, who did all the social media and, and came up with a lot of the um, marketing concepts for this with the like the orange tile and getting influencers to post about it. Like how responsible should Jerry Media be held for this? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Especially knowing that it became clear to them, not immediately, but over time, over time that something bad was happening. And mm-hmm. there was only like a single employee that ended up quitting. He left the the marketing company because the marketing mm-hmm. company was unwilling to. Yeah, and it wasn't only until the day that the festival opened up that Jerry Media, if I remember this correctly from the documentary anyway, it wasn't until the day of the festival um, when everyone got to the island that Jerry Media was like, yo, dog, like we can't post, we're not going to post about this anymore. 
you know, but everybody saw the signs and like nobody, and, and it's easy to say, oh, we warned them, we warned them, we warned them. And, you know, Billy didn't listen, but at, at a point, certain point, if you know that a fraud is happening and a scam is happening, uh, and you, t- and you try to warn the people in charge and say, hey, maybe we should stop this and they don't listen. You don't just sit back and say, oh, well, I tried. Like, it didn't work. You know, that sucks. Um, I just don't think that's good enough. And a lot of people are patting themselves on the back in these documentaries saying like, oh, I saw the signs. I tried to tell Billy and I ignore and he ignored me. So like, whatever, you know, you're not absolved to responsibility at that point. I don't think. Yeah. Um, I mean, am I crazy here? No, you're not. Mm -hmm. And I'd be curious to see how or if because I know the FBI investigation is still pending Mm -hmm. um, in that case, how – how the vendors get brought into the process and maybe potentially held accountable. Yeah. But um, one thing to point out is no one died in the fire festival. <laughs> That's um, however, however, with Theranos, and like you said, I, I agree, the board of directors are definitely the influencers here mm-hmm. that kept peddling this. Yeah. Um, and there, I mean, there's one thing to be said for, you know, being fed false data, mm-hmm. but – you also have a responsibility if you sit on a board like that for uh, corporate governance. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I am listening to the audiobook of Bad Blood. Mm-hmm. It is about Elizabeth Holmes and um, Theranos. Uh, it's written by John Carreyrou. 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 Yeah. Um, and I'm listening to the podcast uh, that was mentioned earlier, uh, The Dropout, which is good, but um. It's only on like episode four as of this mm-hmm. week, and it's um it's pretty damning because it it's talking about all of the whistleblowers. Um, there were employees of the company, and I think it was last week's episode or a couple weeks ago episode where there there was an employee that they were threatened with lawsuits mm-hmm. all along the way if if they were bringing this up internally, and there's this one guy who ended up committing suicide because he felt he had so much pressure on him about this and um, he felt like there was no way out. And it's just a really sad story. And there are so many accounts of this. And the thing that's different from Theranos and Fire Festival is obviously the difference of several hundred million dollars because I believe Theranos was um, valued in in the billion range. Um, And they were doing – live tests live blood tests on people and actually did we theranos is a company that was uh supposed oh, yeah. to be explainer sorry <laughs> maybe we should back <laughs> up a little bit here let's back up sorry um elizabeth holmes is she was a stanford um uh not a graduate she went there she was studying business and i think she got wrapped up in all kinds of cool stuff cool research with um, biology. Mm. And anyways, Theranos was a company that was designed to do blood tests, but it was supposed to be needleless or just like finger, like a prick. Yeah. So you didn't have to go in to get your blood drawn with multiple vials and send them off to a lab for testing for whatever you needed your blood tested for. It was, it was purporting to be able to just do with a single finger prick prick in a dot of blood um, to be able to run all of these multiple tests. And it was supposed to be revolutionary, change the way 
um, all healthcare. kinds of yeah. healthcare is run in the country and it was supposed to be so much cheaper. She ended up getting a board of directors that was just like uh, amazing names, but they were a lot of like former military guys, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. We can pull that up in a second. But um, she also ended up signing a deal with, was it Walgreens or yeah. CVS? Walgreens. Walgreens. So she had a Theranos um, lab or wait, what do they call it? Uh, like a wellness center. A wellness center in like thousands of different Walgreens across the country. And people were actually going in and using it. And getting so tough. anyways, and they were getting bad results back. And so now we're just on all the episodes and I'm yeah. listening to the stories recount of how many people got um, scares like um, they thought their cancer was in remission and ter- turns out they get a faulty thing back that says it was it was coming back. Yeah. They were freaking out. Can you imagine? No, I can't. Thinking you're cancer-free and then you get a thing that says, just kidding. Um, and thank God all of these people got second opinions so they didn't end up, you know – yeah, yeah. Doing God knows what. <laughs> I know. It really is crazy. And, um, you know, Fire and Theranos share s- so many things in common just in the in the scams that, that they perpetrate a bit. Like Theranos, you're right, is kind of on another level in terms of like it affecting – really affecting people's lives. Like we're not just talking about a bunch of college – students who like went down to the Bahamas and it turned out to be a lousy vacation. Like we're talking about people who are getting blood tests and then making medical decisions based on those blood tests that are full of errors. You know, it's, it's like, it's on a whole different level of, of fraudulent and, um, you know, not to fast forward too much, but she was eventually exposed by this reporter who wrote that book you were talking about. Um, and the Department of Justice is currently investigating her. She could go to jail. Um, who knows if she will? She she's already had to. She, to she's jail. only had to pay like a five hundred thousand dollar fine or something. I think, you know, like she had to dissolve the company and then pay a fine, and that's and then like she, she's in the middle of a criminal trial. I think. Um, well, she's facing up to twenty years in jail. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, but the thing that's so creepy about her too is she's she has shown no remorse and like no acknowledgement that this is really bad. And all that I've ever seen her say is something along the lines of mistakes were made, mistakes were made, mistakes were made. But she doesn't show remorse. She, you know, she doesn't acknowledge that or admit that she was way in overhead, way in over her head, or that she um carried out this massive scam on people. You know, it's know. there's almost a lot of like sociopathic tendencies in her and Billy. Like he's yeah, never shown any remorse that. either. No, they're psycho. That's the one thing like I get from all these stories. I'm like, these people are legitimately like they're psychopaths because yeah. they don't care about the harm that they cause other people. Mm-hmm. And all they're thinking of is they're like, when can I get through this quote unquote punishment phase so I can carry on with my business. Yeah. I just have to manage this crisis so that I can like move on with my life and everyone will know like in later on on the road, how amazing I am again. You know, they just want people to sing their praises. And you know, the weird thing about the Elizabeth story Mm -hmm. is that she, she did all these weird things. I'm going to like 
botch oh, them. Yeah. But like I know. I think I know where you're going just with this. like yeah. Steve Jobs. She was always wearing those black turtlenecks and she'd slick her hair back and like whatever else. She changed her voice. Yep. People, this is the most crazy part. She would like talk like this. <laughs> she, <laughs> she would drop. She would drop so many like octaves. And so many people that are, I don't know, being like interviewed about her would say, you know, she was – anytime she walked in a room, everyone paid attention to her because mostly because she had such a weird freaking yeah. voice. But there were a couple of times where she slipped and like uh, went back to her normal voice. And so people would like hear that and be like, what is happening? And there are – there's like one recording of her um, – floating around in the internet where she does slip back into her normal voice. And it's so different. It's like a normal, like female voice. She's just and I, was, I would also like to say I was not prepared to do an impression. So that really <laughs> sucked. <laughs> yeah. I think it was more like, hello, my Hi. name is Elizabeth. This is, Eliz- oh. this is Elizabeth Holmes. Like that's what she sounded like. It's crazy. Like but like what kind of person, what kind of person changes their voice? Literally copies – Everything about Steve Jobs from the way he dresses to the way he tries to – the way she tried to run her business to the fact that she would constantly poach Apple employees and she tried to design the you know the Theranos machines to look like Macs basically. So there is definitely a level of just, I don't know, really weird behavior there. Um, People that want to be an icon and to be loved and I think this rolls perfectly into – the other big documentary that is on Netflix right now, it's called American Meme. And we thought this kind of fit in, like a, it was a nice little tie-in with millennials, scams and hoaxes and all this kind of stuff. Uh, just kind of talking about how grow- <laughs> the the internet has fundamentally changed the world, obviously. But the way that we interact and portray ourselves um, – obviously through social media and um just kind of the 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 concept of a meme mm-hmm. i had to explain this to my mom the other day uh she was like sarah what's a meme and i was like oh man how do i explain a, a meme i was like basically it's a, a caricature and it could be good or bad but mm-hmm. it's always funny <laughs> <laughs> um and i was basically like you you probably don't want to be a meme. Yeah. There's, if you're a meme, it's probably negative. There are very few like positive. Yeah, and it's like memes. it's hard to explain a meme, but you know it when you see it. You know, yes. um, yeah. I watched that documentary too, and was just kind of blown away by that certain like part of our society. I don't know. I guess kind of like fire. It just makes it's me so super gross. depressing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's depressing, and it's just like kind of gross, and and also. I, it was weird to me because, you know, I'm on social media all the time and like I'm just as addicted to Instagram as the next person. But I'll be honest, the the main people profiled in that documentary, I'd never heard it before except for Paris Hilton. Which, so I'm part of me is like, you know, if you are sucked into that culture, like the people that follow um, that Lauren girl or Krilla, is that his name? Killer or Krilla or whatever, or the fat Jew. Like none of those people I'd ever heard of before. And, um, you know, they have really kind of sad lives behind the screen. So which they talk about, like, that's not me passing judgment, but um, 
it just seems like a really lonely lifestyle and the people that are kind of obsessed with these, whatever you want to call them, I guess they're, they are a kind of influencer to an extent. Um, I don't know. It just made me feel really sad and depressed. And also your social media experience, and maybe this is too much of a tangent, but I really think that like your experience on social media is what you make it. And if you're Mm -hmm. going on there to fulfill some kind of weird fantasy or, you know, escape reality, then you're probably not going to have a healthy experience on it, on any of these platforms. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like at the end of the day, we all have to take responsibility for our own presence on social media, our own experiences on there and like what we get out of it. Absolutely. You know, I, I also, I've been seeing startling statistics, um, not for millennial age, um, folks, but for, I don't know, whatever we're calling the generation that's younger Mm -hmm. than millennial, um, the, the teenage girls are like their suicide rates are going through the roof and there are correlations between how much time is spent on social media in particular, not just like mm-hmm. time on the internet or access to the internet. It's time spent on social media sites yeah, um, <clears throat> that that directly correlate with that. And I just – I thought that was so sad. That is really sad. Because they, they're so young and impressionable and there are so many weird things on the internet. Yeah, well, it also – We've all seen it, but we, we've we also – I feel like we have grown up in the age of the internet, so we kind of work through that stuff. Mm-hmm. We, But I feel like social media, so much is more a part of the everyday life. Can you imagine if you were like, uh, like snapping in high school? No. Or constantly doing like uh, – video live streams mm-hmm. of yourself in class when you were in middle school. Yeah. Like, no, we didn't have to worry about being on screen and being screen ready yeah. every day when we got ready for school because, you know, people weren't taking our pictures. We didn't have cell phones that mm-hmm. have cameras on them. I so. know. And I think there's like two sides of this coin of of people constantly seeking affirmation and seeking likes and seeking that approval from other people, which breeds obviously like its own um, issues with with teenagers and young people. But on the flip side, there's that. And then there's also the amount of time spent on platforms where you are um, – where it's just breeding envy of like other lifestyles. So – and I even find this with myself, with the people that I follow. And I like to think that I have fostered a, a good like Instagram – for myself that I follow and accounts that I follow, but I, I still find myself, you know, going through stories and going through the feed and starting to feel like, oh, I really wish I had that house or like, I wish I was on that vacation or I wish I had that outfit or I like looked that way or whatever. And, you know, before long, even I fall victim to it of just like feeling really envious of, of other things and feeling like my life is lacking. And then you like close the app and kind of snap out of it. Um, but I can't imagine like how difficult that is for younger people who are not as like well-grounded, um, and who are kind of all going through this in their teen years as opposed to like their late twenties. And so I think that just compounds everything. And that does lead to things like, um, you know, sad people who seek validation through being internet famous or, um, does lead to things like fire festival being able to happen. Mm-hmm. 
because mm-hmm. everyone's so desperate to be a part of it. I know. I, I agree with you because like every once in a while, I'll be like, you know, it's cold. I'm stuck in at my desk. <laughs> and, <laughs> I wish I was anywhere and else. And then I'm like, oh, wow, look, that internet stars in Jamaica mm-hmm. <laughs> running around with a wonderful tan that I am never going to be able to produce myself. But <laughs> I, I, I've, I, I follow funny accounts. Mm-hmm. So – well, yeah, I've gotten, back, I've gotten yeah. out. I've gotten out of like, like you said, like I've made social media. Like, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna see my friends. I'm gonna say, oh, and I'm gonna see cute babies and dogs and really funny memes. I follow a ton of meme accounts, mm-hmm. not, and I, I do some some celebrity, like internet celebrity types. But it's usually the ones that are really funny. Yeah, like um, I think her screen name is Lapons. She's like uh. I don't know. She like sings music, but she's also hilarious and does like weird little skits. Um, but I, I mostly get jealous when I see a really good joke, and I'm like, "Dang!" I wish I had come up with that. <laughs> I know. I wish I had come up with that. Yeah. Well, um, it just goes back to the whole: you're you are responsible for your own experience, and social media is what you make of it. And you can have a really great experience on any of these platforms, or you can have a really horrible experience. And it's you have to. You have to have the awareness to be able to filter out the stuff that makes you feel bad. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, Sarah and Christina and Amanda, like we all can do that because we're adults and we kind of like didn't – we didn't come up with this per se. Um, But it's hard for younger people. It's hard for people who are in high school, um, even these days in college. Uh, You know, if you're in college, you're pretty much a baby in my book right now, which is um, a whole other issue. But – it's just it's hard, you know, and and it's easy for us to say like, well, just unfollow that person if if it's making you feel bad, or you know, unfollow the influencers that are telling you to spend tens of thousands of dollars that you don't have, you know. But I guess at the end of the day, a lot of people struggle with it, which is sad and depressing, you know. And also, you have to take into account people that don't have good friendships. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're looking for advice and if the only people giving it are the highly successful people on the internet, they're going to take that. So I I think that's another uh, vulnerability angle that Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily jump to right away because I I feel like all of us have been really hashtag blessed (laughs) because we have such great friends. (laughs) But it's really – it is a problem. And so this is just – a question I'm offering up to y'all and just our larger sphere of folks that are listening, how how would you recommend of uh, not falling victim to scams in the future? Oof. Good question. Yeah. I mean, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. If you can't afford it, then don't buy it, you know? Um, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. And I, I think, um, a lot of that responsibility falls on, how do I say this? On older people who are maybe involved in the scam, even if they don't realize it. So like, for instance, Jaw Rule used his celebrity influence to peddle fire festival and he should have known better. You know, and like when you have influence and you know that you have influence over people, it's your responsibility to make sure that what you're selling is legit 
and not a scam. You know, and yep. and, and it reminds me too when I was reading about this earlier. Um, after the documentaries came out, Ja Rule went on Twitter and like tweeted this huge Twitter like tweet storm about how he's not responsible for it and he's it's not his fault and he had no idea and he was scammed just like everybody else. Um, and he even had a tweet that was like saying in all caps, I would never scam or fraud anyone. Um, and it's side note, this coming from a guy who spent two years in jail for tax evasion and, Ill- and illegal gun possession. So hello, irony. Um, but, you know, he's just deflecting blame. And so I think a way to like avoid scams is like these adults in the room and these influencers need to take responsibility. Um, and everyone wants to blame everyone else and, you know, and society and social media, but they don't want to blame this culture that they are participating in because they don't actually want it to change like deep down, like jaw rule probably doesn't really give a crap about change at the end of the day. Um, but you gotta just like know the influencers, you gotta know who you trust and who you don't trust. And I don't know. I I know that's a really like winding answer, but um, yeah. And and you have to have like a firm grounding in reality at the end of the day. And like Instagram is one thing. Twitter is one thing. Facebook is one thing. Snapchat is one thing, but that's not reality. And I think it would behoove us all to remember that. Should we all be more skeptical? Unfortunately, probably yes. Great. I know. Sad. Sad day. (laughs) I want to believe everything. Well, I know. I mean, yeah, I know. But I think a healthy dose of skepticism is probably what we all need right now. All right. I'm a realist now, everyone. This was a moment it happened. Um, Welcome to the party. Well, dang. Any last words, y'all? Nope. Nope. Mm, Gonna take it as a no. Well, (laughs) thank you all for listening to us ramble on and on about (laughs) About things that really bother us. Things that depress (laughs) us. (laughs) Um, We are really glad that you joined us for another week. Um, Do us a favor. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate us on whatever platform you're listening to us through. Um, Please share it with your friends. If you have anything that you want to talk to us about, if you'd like to potentially be a guest on our podcast you know somebody who would be a fantastic guest on our podcast let us know we want to hear and get all your feedback um what's our twitter handle twitter handle amanda at official n-y-a-f yes so if you don't have if you don't have twitter go get twitter anyways y'all have a wonderful day and we'll talk to you next week Bye. bye bye